If you've been with us over recent weeks, you'll know that we've started a preaching series called uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is a very grand title. But what we're doing is taking nine weeks to open this book, the book, the Word of God, alongside a really helpful tool by a guy called Pete Scazzaro, Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, really to look beneath the surface of our lives and to discover challenges or problems or issues within our kind of emotional and spiritual lives, but ultimately to lead us to a place of growth and transformation. And we really believe as a leadership team that this is such a key moment for us as a church, that this series is so timely for us, and that if we allow God in in this moment, it's a catalyst for deep transformation and deep growth. But if I'm being honest, it can be a bit challenging it can be quite painful. I was sat there listening to Callum's preach last Sunday thinking, ouch, okay, God, I've got some heart surgery to do. I've got some work to go away and do with you. But that's what God wants to do. He highlights things because he wants to lead us to a deep place of transformation. But we have to allow him in. We have to allow him to do that work. Because each week what we're doing, we're looking at the Bible and we're taking uh, a kind of chapter of this book, looking at what scripture says about what Pete Scazzaro calls emotion, the pathways of emotionally healthy spirituality before finishing with a next step to put into practice, really. And so if you've been with us over a couple of weeks, we looked at the, the issues and the challenges. And then last week, Callum looked at about knowing yourself and about the difference between the false self and the true self. And this week, we're just slightly reordering the, the book. And we're going, if you're following us, into um, an interesting chapter, which is called Journey Through the Wall, which sounds very exciting, or Journey Through Crisis Moments, or Through Trials, or Through Challenges. Um, so Pete Scazzaro uses this word of a wall, which we'll talk about a bit more today. Uh, are there any long-distance runners out here today? I saw Ian Weir's in the house. I don't know if anyone, else, anyone else a marathon runner or long-distance runner? Rona? We haven't got many in this church. We need to get running, if you like it, that is. I'm told that in marathon running, you can do something called hitting a wall, which um, I, I YouTubed it this week, and I saw a runner. She was... She was running the Boston Marathon, and she was about 25 miles in, and she was leading the race, and she literally was running one minute, and the next minute, she just bowed on the floor. Her body basically gave up, and she didn't have any energy go, and she ended up crawling to the finish line. And hitting a wall in a marathon is the point where basically you run out of energy. You run out of the ability to continue. Your body gives up. Your mind says, I cannot carry on anymore. And so you kind of hit a wall, and you effectively stop. And if you have read any of the New Testament, you'll know that the Bible talks about the Christian life as a race, but not a sprint, but a marathon, a long race that takes our whole lives, if you like. And just like in a marathon, people physically hit a wall, in our Christian lives, in our walking with Jesus, we too can come to moments where we hit walls, emotionally and spiritually, where we kind of think, can I go on? We get to a point where we think, God, what are you doing? God, where are you working? What, what's your plan and how am I going to get through this? I'm at a moment where I feel like I'm just not sure if I can continue. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like. There's been some things. And we hit these moments of just emotional and spiritual walls, if you like, where we're unsure about the way forward. And the reality is this. Every follower of Jesus at some point in your life will hit a wall or crisis moments or trials in your walk with him, emotionally and spiritually. Not to be depressing, but probably multiple times. And the ancient church fathers would often refer to this as the dark night of the soul, which sounds very 
very kind of ooh, very exciting, but not particularly. And the reality is you might hit a wall in response to loss or a series of disappointments over the long term. And here's what Pete Scazzaro says in, uh, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a health diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, how he is getting us there, or when this is ever going to be over. On top of this, it could come from financial challenges. It might come from uh, the pressure of studies or exams or that need to succeed and you don't quite get the grades you're wanting for to the next step of life and you just hit a bit of a wall. It might be a family breakdown. It might be being made redundant. It might be anxiety that you live with or unmet hopes for your family or your career. Or it might have been living through the pandemic over the past few years. Not just living through it, but I believe that many of us are facing up to walls in the aftermath of the pandemic. It's left a legacy in our hearts. It's left a legacy in our emotions and our spiritual lives. And many of us are feeling like now it's almost there's been a bit of a lag effect. And now a year after a sort of post-pandemic, we're feeling the effects of it in our emotional and spiritual lives. I also want to recognize that for many in this room, something like the death of George Floyd would have had a, been a moment where you hit a wall where you kind of face up to the realities once again of systemic racism and of injustice and hatred in our world, and you kind of go, God, what are you doing? And where are you working? And how is this going to ever going to end? And that, that might be an emotional wall that you hit um, for a different set of reasons. And hitting a wall, which is quite, you know, quite a kind of punchy language, or a crisis moment, or a trial, or a dark night, or loss, they're defining moments of our walk with Jesus, because in it, God strips us back, and if we allow him to, he leads us to deeper communion with himself. If you remember that the goal of the Christian life, John 17 tells us this, this is eternal life, that you may know God. Philippians 3 verse 8 tells us, Paul says, I leave everything behind in order that I may know Jesus. Jesus' desire for your life is this, that you know him deeply and intimately, that you have deep communion and deep fellowship with him. And it seems that through scripture and through people's experiences, that he leads us through tough moments and trials and crises and walls and dark nights to ultimately lead us to himself and to do the transformation work in our hearts. If you think about James chapter 1, count it joy my brothers, when you face trials of any kind, because what's it doing? It's producing fruit in you. It's leading you towards Jesus. 1 Peter 1 talks about the fact that our faith is being tested like fire, that the proven genuineness of our faith may be refined like gold. And so it seems like God's normal way of working in us is that we go through trials and difficulties and challenges, but the goal is that if we allow ourselves to, God will lead us to himself and into deeper communion and into deeper fellowship with him. God uses walls or crises or loss or suffering to tend the garden of our souls. God uses these moments to tend the garden of our souls. Imagine your, imagine your soul is like a garden. 
And God's like a master gardener, and he wants to tend it, that the end result is beautiful. That the end result is this wonderful kind of relationship and communion with him, but he uses walls. He uses tough moments to get hold of us and to lead us through into deep fellowship and into this beautiful garden that he wants to create in and through us. But when we kind of get to moments in life where we hit crises, when we get to moments where we hit walls or we feel like we're not sure what God is doing and we're not sure if we can carry on, we have a choice to make. We can either say, God, I'm going to let you in and I'm going to allow you, no matter how painful it is, to do the work in my heart that you want to do, or we can say, God, this but no further. This but no further. And what tends to happen, nice little illustration here, We're going along in our Christian lives and we hit something that we might call a wall or a challenge or a crisis or a difficulty. If we don't allow God in in those moments, we effectively kind of bounce off it. We don't go through the wall, we bounce off it. And we end up doing two things primarily. We either direct our pain inwards, that leads to resentment and anger and bitterness or guilt or shame. And as we grow older, we become more and more bitter and more and more resentful and more and more angry. Or... We direct our pain outwards, and we end up blaming other people. We end up being envious of others. And if we don't allow God to take us through, and what then happens, ultimately, we go around the circle again. God leads us to the same place, and we go around and become more bitter and more angry and more disappointed and more resentful or more kind of angry at the world and others around us. But where we allow Jesus in and we allow God to take us through, what's on offer As painful as it might be, it's deep communion with God. It's joy. It's peace. It's a greater ability to wait on God and to trust in him. And it's the promise of fullness of life. Jesus' vision is that you would know life and life to the fullness. But we have to go through tough moments of faithfully walking with Jesus and allowing him in to the depths of our hearts in order to get to a place of deep communion and fellowship with him. So, to help us to understand how we do this, what does it look like to not bounce off a wall but to go through a wall? What does it look like to face up to crises moments and not become bitter or angry or resentful but to go, God, would you do a deep work in me? Where do we turn? We turn to the word of God and we look at the person of Jesus Christ who is the author and the perfecter of our faith who is our example in all areas of life, who models to us how to be fully human and fully alive and to know life to the fullest. And we're going to look at Jesus this morning in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to look at Jesus facing up to the biggest crisis to end all crises, the biggest wall to end all walls, the darkest night that's ever been in human history, where Jesus faces up to the reality of his imminent death on a cross. And what we're going to see, what we're going to ask the question is, how does Jesus show us how to live through tough moments? How does Jesus show us what the answer is when we're facing up to crises and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to turn and we don't know where forward? We're going to look to Jesus because he's the example. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you want to become like him, right? In all areas of life. You want to live like he did. In the good moments and in the hard moments, you want to take the life of Jesus and say, Jesus, how you lived is how I want to live. How you walked is how I want to walk. How, how you modeled to me life is how I want to live life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we're going to turn to Matthew um, 26, if you've got a Bible. Uh, if not, it's going to come up on the screen. 
I'm reading from um, the ESV. Um, so Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. All of Jesus' ministry, all of his time on earth led him to this point in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew the agony of the cross was coming, both the physical anguish that he was about to experience, but also the spiritual anguish of carrying the weight of sin's curse on his shoulders. He knows the anguish that is coming. This is the dark moment that he is facing up to in his life. And so Jesus has the Passover meal with his friends, as many of you will know, and he takes his disciples to this garden of Gethsemane. And he invites his disciples, the 11 of them, remember Judas has gone off to betray him. He says he invites his disciples to sit there while he goes and prays. And then he invites Peter and James and John to come with him a little bit further. And verse 37 tells us this, that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. He was grieving. Jesus in this moment is in great distress. The word troubled in Greek means to be depressed. And there's multiple words in Greek for depressed. And this is the strongest word that is used in the Greek language for depressed. And it means like an anxiety from which there is no escape. There is a depression from which there is no escape. Jesus right now is in deep sorrow and anguish. And he says to his disciples, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And this phrase, sorrowful even to death, he's so overcome with sorrow and grief, it's like there's a death happening in his heart. It's like there's just this kind of deep anguish and just pain and sorrow and loss that he's facing. And it's an anguish that he knows he can't face alone. And so he invites his friends to come with him. He invites Peter and James and John to come with him. Sadly, they don't do so good at fulfilling their end of the bargain in falling asleep. I did say to my kids this week, if I was there, what would I have done? They said, you'd definitely have fallen asleep, Dad. <laughs> Which is probably true. I fall asleep in every situation and circumstance. Just ask Sarah about our first ever holiday we went on, if you want to know more. He invites Peter and James and John with him. But Jesus knows that he needs to be alone with the Father in this moment. So he continues alone. And he falls on his knees as this act of utter humility and surrender and anguish. And he falls to the Father, and he says, My Father, 
my father, if it be possible, take this from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And three times he says the same prayer until it seems that something settles in his heart. And he says, rise, get up, my betrayer is at hand. It seems like after praying these words, something resolves in his heart to face up to what he is about to go through. And he says, rise, get up. And off he goes and meets with Judas and is arrested. And we know the rest. And I think there's three particular things in this passage that I just want to emphasize that Jesus shows us what it means to navigate through a crisis moment, to navigate through a trial, to navigate through a wall or a dark night or however language you want to describe it. And if we learn to follow Jesus' example, I believe he, it will help us to walk through, that we've talked about, into this deep communion and transformation with Jesus that he longs for each one of us. So the first one is this. Jesus shows us to run to the Father. Callum last week was talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in that first garden, in their darkest hour, what do they do? They hide from God. Jesus, in this garden, remember Jesus is the second Adam, he's the true Adam, in this garden, Jesus runs to the Father. You see the contrast between the first Adam, who runs away from God, and Jesus, who is our true example, he runs to the Father in his darkest hour. The temptation of every human is to hide. From Adam to today to all eternity, the temptation of every human is to hide from God. But Jesus models what it looks like to be real and vulnerable before the Father. You don't have to hide from God today. You can bring all of your pain. You can bring all of your confusion. You can bring all of your sorrow. You can bring all of your anguish. And you can say, I'm running to you, God. That we're called to, to, to learn to direct our pain upwards and not inwards. Upwards towards our Father in heaven, who is big enough to handle all of our pain and all of our confusion, and all of our grief, and all of our sorrow, because he carried it on the cross for you. And what's interesting in this bit here is even though heaven is seemingly silent, Jesus doesn't really get the answer in many ways. You know, you think about other parts of scripture where you see heaven, see God talking directly, my son, this is who I'm well pleased when he's, when he's baptized. Even though Jesus has to go through suffering, what does Jesus say in this moment? He's so confident in his identity and who his father is. He says these words, my father, my father, my father. Jesus is so confident in his sonship in God in this moment that it causes him to run to the father and say, my father, my father, my father. And Jesus knew that what would strengthen him the most is being with his father. That's why he goes off alone. Yes, he invites Peter and James and John in, but ultimately he knows he needs to be with the Father. And if you follow Jesus' life on earth, you'll know that he was very good at learning to cultivate time with the Father. Jesus often withdrew to pray in times of solitude, in times of being with God. And so when it came to his crisis moment, what's his natural response? It's to run to the Father. Please don't wait until a crisis moment to run to the Father our call and our invitation is to daily cultivate rhythms and habits of being with the Father and being with God, that as we go through moments of trial and tribulation and suffering, our response will be, I'm running. 
I'm running. I'm running to my father, like Jesus has modeled us to do. Secondly, Jesus shows us what it means to surrender our will. The great challenge of every human heart is to let go and surrender my life to Jesus. That is true of every person in this room, whether you choose to admit it or not. That's the great challenge of my heart. Will I allow myself to fully be surrendered to Jesus? And will I allow his will to be done, no matter what the cost or what the challenge is? And if we go back to the first garden of Adam and Eve that Callum was talking about last week, Adam and Eve chose the pathway of independence and of their own choices and of their own free will. They chose the pathway of their own will. In this second garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chooses to wholly surrender to the Father. Again, do you see the contrast between Adam and Jesus, who is our example and who is our life? And he says, I choose to surrender everything to you, even though I know it's going to cost me my life. Letting go of control, wholly surrendering to God, is so challenging. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to butter it up. It's so challenging because we all like control. We all like to feel like we're in control. We like to know exactly what God's plans are. We like to know exactly how God is working. We like to know exactly when he's going to do it and when it's going to finish. God doesn't turn out quite well at that because he's not um, answerable to us. There is a holy mystery to following God that requires us to surrender our will to him and to actually learn to be okay with not knowing everything and to leave things to God. And to learn to trust him, even in the confusion and chaos of our lives. There's a great uh, quote in... Oh, I didn't actually put the quote up. One of the great fruits, Pete Gazzara writes, of the wall is a childlike, deepened love for mystery. We can rest more easily and live more freely on the other side of the wall, knowing that God is in control and he's worthy of my trust. So Jesus shows us what it looks like to really surrender in a moment of crisis and challenge. And thirdly, you you see this one a minute ago, it's like a little preview. Jesus shows us that we need others with us. Now, Jesus' disciples don't cover themselves in glory, as we know. Three times they fall asleep. And it's not like Jesus asked a lot of them. He didn't ask them to stay up all night for a prayer meeting. He just said, "Just, just stay here and chill, guys. And they couldn't, they just fell asleep three times. That's not really the point here. The point is that Jesus, in his greatest need, in his greatest moment, chooses to invite his friends into his inner world, into his interior world. He shares the deep anguish of his soul, the deep anguish that he is going through with his friends, and he chooses to live in brokenness and vulnerability before a few others. He doesn't actually share with all 11 of them. He says to the 11, sit here and watch while I pray. And then he invites Peter and James and John, and he says, my soul is very sorrowful. So he chooses to say to Peter and James and John, this is what's going on in my interior world. I'm choosing to share the brokenness and the vulnerability that I am feeling with you right now. Jesus did not want advice from his friends. He just needed their presence. He just needed them to be with him. All he asked of them was to watch him, to remain here and to watch with me. And friends, let me say this so clearly, we cannot go through trials and suffering and loss and walls 
alone. And we were never meant to. We were never meant to. That's not the way of Jesus. We need others to be with us. Not necessarily to give us good advice, but just to be present with us in the trial. To be present with us in the sorrow. We don't necessarily need to broadcast our woes and our sorrows to everyone. But true brokenness and vulnerability means finding some trusted friends, some trusted counsel where you can go, this is what's happening on the interior world of my life. And I just want to choose to be real and broken and vulnerable before you. And the reality is, I think for some of us, it's time to unmask. It's time to unmask, to stop hiding and to allow ourselves to live in brokenness and vulnerability before a few trusted others who will help us walk through battles and trials and difficulties. These moments that we're going through that we're talking about today are a part of life. We can't avoid them, but we have a choice to allow God to use them to bring deep communion and deep transformation in our life, ultimately leading to fullness of life. And Jesus is the one who passed the test in the garden. Amen? He's the one who passed the test in the garden, who was broken for us, who took on vulnerability and weakness for us, who waited on God's timing, who modeled to us what it looked like to run to the Father in total surrender, even in deep anguish and sorrow. And what was on the other side of the wall for Jesus? Joy. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us this. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It was for the joy that was set before Jesus. Do you know Jesus is quite joyful right now? Because he's been through the anguish. He's been through. He was broken for us. And he's now ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. And he's passed through the trials. He's passed through the walls. And he says, follow me and I will lead you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To look to him and say, you, Jesus, are the answer. You're my hope. You're my refuge. You're my rock. You're my fortress. And you're my deliverer. And I want to follow you, Jesus, because you will lead me through. And you will lead me into everlasting life. And you will lead me to joy. And you'll lead me to peace. And you'll lead me to communion with yourself. And you'll lead me to a place where you go, I found fullness of life by knowing Jesus Christ. Fully and intimately and deeply. Friends, that's the invitation. I'm glad someone's excited by that. That's the invitation. But there's pain in the night to go through to get there. And that's the hard bit. And we can't deny it's a reality of life. So we we have a choice to say, God, in these moments, I want to live like Jesus. Jesus, I want to run to the Father. Help me to run to the Father. Help me to say, not as I will, but as you will. And help me to take a few trusted others on that journey with me. Who can simply be with you who can simply love you, who can simply say, I'm just here for you. We need one another. And each week, as we've been talking through this, we want to kind of help give, I guess, a practice or something to do at home to help you implement this uh, in the week. We don't just want to kind of turn up, hear a nice message. Well, maybe you haven't found this nice. That's fine, too. I actually go, we want to do something about it. And one of the things I just want to encourage you to do uh, this week is particularly if you're feeling like I'm in a moment where life is hard and I'm going through a trial, I'm going through a challenge, is maybe to try a practice of just journaling and writing. Now, I am not a writer. I don't really like writing in a journal. 
but I've done it periodically from time to time. And I went back this week, and I looked at my journal from um, a few years back, and I, and I realized, I'm like, man, 2021, I was not a particularly happy camper. And I just, I, this is not for anyone else to read apart from Sarah, or maybe a few trusted friends I could give it to after what I've shared this morning. But I realized, actually, looking back on it, God was doing a lot of deep work in me through that year as, I've journal, as I journaled, as I just wrote some things down. Now, I don't write in this very often, maybe once every six months, so it's not exactly like it's a dear diary or anything like that. But one of the things, as I've reflected on that this week, I found it immensely helpful for three reasons, particularly in a kind of, in a kind of trial challenge moment. One, it helped me to process my thoughts with God honestly. Sometimes you don't know how to speak things out, but just writing it, I was able to just to go, God, this is how I'm really feeling. Secondly, it helped me to get clarity on what I was thinking before I shared it with others. To actually kind of go, I, I wrote down, and then I was able to take it to another friend and go, just this is what I'm feeling. I was able to actually do that. And thirdly, it actually helped me to look back and see what God was doing. As I look back now on 2021 and go, that was, a, for me personally, a kind of wall moment or, how, or a trial. I was just facing up to a number of challenges. Actually, I can look back now and go, God, you are working in me. And I can see that looking back now. I couldn't always see it in that moment. And so if you find that helpful, grab a journal, grab a whatever you want. You want to use your phone to do it. I don't really know if there's any rules around these things. I don't think there is. But if you find it helpful just to practice writing things down and saying, God, I just want to express how I'm feeling before you. So if that's a helpful tool or a helpful framework, please feel free to do it. But can I just invite the band to come um, back up? Um, we've got a good amount of time this morning to be able to respond. There's an invitation of Jesus this morning, I believe, to come running to the Father. And we're going to sing, I believe, the refrain uh, or a chorus of a, of, a, of a song that says, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. I've got it right. I'm not going to join the worship team, though. And, and I want us to take a moment, and I believe that if we let God in this moment, there's kind of like holy moments in God, that actually we just get to take a moment, wherever you're at in life right now, and just to say, God, in this moment, I'm choosing to run into your arms. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. I'm not going to necessarily invite you to come up to the front and pray. Um, if you'd like prayer at the end of the meeting, there'll be a prayer team over this side. We'd love to pray for you. But I just want us to invite us into a bit of a holy moment. And so if you're able and you're comfortable, feel free to stand um, or kneel or sit or however it is that you want to. I've just got a prayer on the screen. Is that all right? One or two people stood up. Everyone else is still sat. Feel free to stand up if you want to. Allow me just to lead us in this um, ancient prayer that was written about five or six hundred years ago. And can I just invite you where you are, just to steal your heart, just however, however you best want to meet with God right now, if it's kneeling, standing, sitting, hands out, lying on the floor, eyes open, eyes closed. God wants, the reason why God's, Highlighting things in our lives is to bring us into deep communion with him. He's such a gentle God. He's such a loving father. He's so good. And he, he gets hold of us in hard moments, in painful moments. And he says, let me lead you through. The invitation of Jesus this morning to each one of you, wherever you're at, is Jesus says, let me lead you through. 
just open up yourself to him this morning. And I just want to read over us this prayer from about 500 years ago, over us, over myself. Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess, you have given to me. I surrender it all to you to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. With these, I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more.